Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Renoites. My name is Connor McQuibby. I'm your host. Renoites is the weekly interview podcast where I talk to all sorts of folks from Northern Nevada. The goal is for it to be a podcast for everyone. If you live here in Northern Nevada and you listen to podcasts, probably episodes on the list that might be of interest to you. We recently passed 100 episodes, so we have quite the back catalog to listen to. We are currently on a break from normal episodes, but I am still doing live episodes, and today's is with Reno Little Theater. I did a full episode with Melissa Taylor from Reno Little Theater a few weeks ago, and just last week, I did a live post-show taping at Reno Little Theater following their performance of Susical, which is running to the end of the month. This episode features some of the folks behind Susical at Reno Little Theater. The live event also included some additional performances from some of the cast. Those are not included on the podcast. Those are just for the folks who were there for the live event. There is another live event coming up on July 27th, the last Thursday of this month. We're going to be with Sierra Regional Roller Derby at Black Rabbit Mead. That one is going to be from 8 to 10 on Thursday, July 27th with the folks from Sierra Regional Roller Derby. That one should be a lot of fun. Keep an eye on my social media for details about that one. Even though we're between seasons and I'm not going to be doing my normal hour-long episodes, I will still be at the Riverside Farmer's Market on Sundays, most Sundays, from 8 to 1. You can find me there. I have Renoites merch for sale. That helps fund the show. I'm also going to be recording some live episodes from the Riverside Farmer's Market. Shorter episodes, 10 to 20 minutes probably, with some of the vendors there. So keep an eye out on the podcast feed. I should have episodes from the Riverside Farmer's Market starting later this week. And now, today's episode, recorded live at Reno Little Theater. Hi, my name is Melissa. I am so excited to welcome you here tonight. We are doing a special recording of Renoites, hosted by our friend Connor McQuivy. Come on up. Aha, you have to turn the microphones on. I do not do a lot of live events, so I'm learning as I go. Uh, so my name is Connor McQuibby. I host a weekly interview podcast here in Reno called Renoites. I started it a couple years ago. We just passed 100 episodes of the show. And the the idea of the show is that it is a, it's a podcast for everybody who lives in Reno. I am a big fan of local media, and I think that local media is kind of lacking in a lot of places. And I listen to a lot of interview shows. We didn't have a general interest weekly long-form interview show. So I started one a couple years ago. Normally, the format is hour-long episodes so that we can get into some substance of what we're talking about, but I've started doing live episodes, too, and I'm so grateful to Reno Little Theater. Can we give a big round of applause to the folks from Reno Little Theater for letting us do this live episode, which is going to be a little bit different, more like a kind of traditional talk show format where we're going to have a couple guests, we're going to have additional performances from some of the cast of Susical. If you want to learn more about Reno Whites, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me on social media. I really appreciate your support. It is a listener-funded, community-oriented kind of project. It's not full of ads. It really is supported by the community here in Reno. So if you want to help support the show, a few things you can do. Follow me on social media. My Instagram account is at Reno Whites, so you can follow me there. If you listen to the show, share episodes and let people know about it. I think that letting people know about what is available in the media world really makes a huge difference. So listen to episodes and share them with your friends. And also, like I said, I don't have a lot of advertisers. I am trying to make this a listener-funded program, so I have a Patreon account. So if you want to subscribe and throw a couple bucks in the virtual tip jar, that's a way to support the work that I am doing. So thank you again to Rena Little Theater. It is time to bring up the director of Susical. The director of Susical, sh- 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 shaking is a uh, 
teacher of theater. Come on up, Shay. It's TMCC and the director of this show, Susical. So welcome up, Shay. Yes. Okay. Hey, there we go. So welcome, Shay. I had not seen Susical before, and I knew very, very little about it. It is such a fun show, and I had seen a couple shows here at Arena Little Theater before, but not a musical. So to start, can you tell me a little bit about the difference as a director of creating a musical? This is so fun. It is family-friendly. What goes into creating a musical show versus the other shows that you've done here? Um, musicals are, are a lot different. Uh, they're actually like my biggest uh, fear as a director. <laughs> uh, I hadn't done, I'd only done Carrie the musical, which is very fun, but it's like a play with songs in it. Uh, the process is different because you're working with other people very closely versus like a play. It's like me and a management team and the cast and then a crew of designers. Mm-hmm. But on Susical, there's me, there's Nate Hodges, and there's Abby Rosen. So we're kind of like a three-headed like Cerberus that like <laughs> leads the the process. And so working so collaboratively is is definitely different than working on an individual play because it's really like you're sort of in a in your own little vacuum sometimes and with them like the three of us really took the time to overlap and figure out how to make the show cohesive and each element happen organically rather like than some musicals were like you stop and then you dance or like you come down stage and you sing a song where like we were really is important to us that the whole thing felt like it came from the world and it all felt natural so that would be the biggest difference to me yeah I, the world of Susical is fun because it is it's cartoonish it's fantasy it's an entire different universe and what goes into creating kind of like a reality out of a cartoon obviously you have real actors and real singers in this fantasy world how do you kind of bring the you know the cartoon to life yeah uh the big thing for me i think when i'm always starting a process is figuring out what like the core of the emotional core of the story is and how each character like serves that and so finding that emotional center and bringing that to the play and letting that be where the characters make choices and where we as a creative team make choices is really how that functions and with susical in particular where the whole thing's underscored and there's so much dancing and like the the design that Chad came up with is like so elaborate and fun. Um, it's really about finding like what is motivating them to do what they do and then making that like the anchor so it doesn't always feel cartoony and random. It mm-hmm. feels very rooted in their sense of reality. Yeah, and it's it's funny and it's energetic, but the the themes of the show are knowing yourself and and loving each other and and seeing the you know the people around you uh there's a lot more to it than just you know the jokes it's a very funny show but it's also got a lot of substance in terms of the themes can you talk a little bit about the themes of susical and what you think Mm -hmm. is the 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 message behind the show yeah uh, i think that's probably the the most consistent thing i've gotten back from the play is that there are so many layers to it because i think on paper it's like oh susical that sounds fun but then when you really get to the the deeper meaning of like a person's a person no matter how small of understanding that like everybody is a human and to like approach them with that sense of being and that sense of truth um and they like even um sour kangaroo has a line of like somebody's thinking different than us Right. And how like that rang so true to me right now of like that's like a very loud dog whistle for some people of like, oop, that thing's different or that's something that doesn't fit. We should fixate on that. We should we should go after that because it doesn't make us feel comfortable when by the end of the play. Sour is the one that's going, 
oh, you know what? I've got, I, I think I understand you. I'm going I'm, I'm to protect this elephant bird too, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a champion for these who's. I get it, right? Because they were shown something that was tangible to her, and then you know she can call off her, her group from, from attacking them. And so I think those themes really rang true for me when Melissa messaged me and sent me a script and said, hey, do you want to do this? Of wow, there's like so many things in this, you know, this play came out in 2002. And so like seeing 20 years later that it actually, I think, vibrates a little more sincerely than it maybe would have in 2002. And they were developing it, developing it in like 1999. So there really was like a couple of years of trying to get this thing moving. And then to see how each of these stories converges in something I think very timely and meaningful. And I think it's easier to swallow these kinds of messages when you're dealing with so much color and you know, sugar, I guess, from what Susical is. Yeah, I think that uh, it's it's a family-friendly show. It's for kids. It's for everybody. And I had Melissa on the show. I, I meant to mention this at the front, but we did a full episode with Melissa about Yay! Rena Little Theater and what you do here and the importance of theater. One of the things that we talked a little bit about and I'd love to ask you about is Susical is a, it's a family show. It is for kids. And I think that having kids involved in the theater and things for kids to see and participate in is pretty important. Can you just talk a little bit as a director about creating a show that is for kids and including that kind of like fun and, and whimsy? Is that something that you have uh, a strong affinity for? Or what's that like working on a, you know, a kid show, basically? Um, no. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe a little bit because I think theater, you know, I mean, I think a lot of the content I've worked on has been like very, like true to me of like dealing with like queer issues and dealing with like rural areas and like trying to find those things in the work that I'm producing. But with Susical, I think approaching it the way I like the content I think I liked as a kid, like I grew up in the nineties. So like angry beavers and like Ren and Stimpy was like a very big part of like the world, but also like Pee Wee's Playhouse or like some of these other shows that were kind of in your face and, and told these kind of strange uh, idiosyncratic stories. And I think approaching Susical with that kind of whimsy but also trusting that kids and adults will go there if it's truthful and will follow you into something if they can trust you as a storyteller. And so that's what was important to me because I don't think I approached it as a kid's show. I think I just dealt with the story and these characters with what I could perceive as their truth. And I think conversations with Nate and Abby early on and with Chad about how what was important to me in the story and how that thing unfolded um, seeing like with Nate, one of the early conversations was like, what is the movement like? How, how do we tell the story through like a physical lens? And so looking at how, you know, Jojo and Horton come into their selves physically throughout the play. Right. I mean, even in the Horton, here's a hoop book, Horton's like, he's like strings himself and he's like on this little hill. But then by the end of the book, he's like, his, he's drawn with more open his shoulders are back. And so wanting to like have that physical journey of seeing these characters come into their space and I think kids will pick up on that mm -hmm. naturally because they're also dealing with, you know, I'm, I was this big in third grade. So <laughs> and in the, in the podcast, I'm like six foot seven and I'm 350 pounds. Like I'm a very large person, but like, I've always been big. And so having that same relationship to space of like, Oh, you're bigger than other kids, like pay attention or, Oh, don't do that. Or, and so having, bringing that like little shade to the process was, I think the most important thing to me because then that was authentic and it wasn't just me trying to like, placate to a young audience because that wouldn't be truthful and kids can smell bs right so like not wanting to do that you know 
Yeah, I think also being in a physical space in live theater, mm-hmm. something Melissa and I talked about on the show too, is there's something special about being in the same room as people. I do yeah. a podcast normally that's me and a guest and we record and then it goes out into the universe. But these live episodes, it's a different dynamic to have people sitting right in front of you. And in live theater, it's a different dynamic to have your audience there with you. And there's this kind of back and forth. You get immediate feedback from the audience throughout the show. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, So can you just talk a little bit about the appeal of theater in terms of all being in a space together and the the difference between theater and other forms of media and why theater is special to you? Yeah. So like in like Western culture, right? Like English speaking cultures, Europeans, Eurocentric, like we are theatrical art forms and also democracy came from like ancient Greeks theater. There were other art forms in other cultures. We just adopted a very specific one. So like, you know, take a theater history class and you'll learn about that. But <laughs> like what we do in the US primarily is based in this communal gathering. And you can like trace that back to the early forms where, you know, well, the men would get together and tell a story and that's how they would deal with like their contemporary problems. And so that being how we formed early democracy, how we formed like early uh, storytelling traditions, like it's just ingrained in our DNA to want to be together and to want and like to want to be together. Right. And like that might not always come through, like if you're an introvert or like that might not feel inherent, but the ability to like sit here and see another person and like all the studies of like, people in theaters where their heartbeats sync up, you know, like that's a really beautiful thing to me. And I, and I think that is what brings me back year after year and season after season is the ability to like be with strangers and to share in a moment that only we are going to have, right? Like you don't have things like that with a movie, right? Like you're in different theaters, you're kind of syncing, but like when you're sitting there watching a play unfold and it's different every night because we're human and we make mistakes and we make these minute changes that shift the story so dramatically. Like you can't replicate that. You can't, there isn't anything else like that that gives us our sense of humanity in such a real time in such a real way, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think, especially after the pandemic, like yearning for that, but also being afraid of it and that like dichotomy of, Oh, I want that. Oh, I'm so scared of that. Oh, what? And then like coming yeah. into the theater and trying to share that and make it a safe space where people can have discourse depending on the content where you can take a deep breath. You can sigh, you can tear up, you can cry, you can laugh. All these things that spontaneously happen to you because you're human. Like it's just, it's magic. And I, and I know that sounds really corny, but you know, every community in the world has a community theater, right? Like, you can go to New York and Broadway, but you can also go to Carson City, Nevada, and they have a community theater, right? Like my hometown of Los Banos, California has a community theater, right? Like a place that doesn't even have like, has more cows than people, right? Like they have a playhouse where you can go and do this because it's valuable and it matters to people, even if they don't realize it. Yeah. And with community theater, which Melissa and I talked about as well, it's people from our community. It might be your your dentist or a, a teacher at your school. Yeah. Uh, my sister-in-law mentioned that the actor who plays Horton works at her school. She's like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. So I think that the the closeness of a community theater and people you might know is something that's really appealing to mm-hmm. come see local theater. 
What's the process like as far as auditioning and casting and filling out all the roles? This is a, a pretty big cast in this show. Yeah, that's right. What's the process like as far as, uh, as as casting and creating the show from the local community? Yeah, I like that. But I also want to say I think the most successful theater is community-oriented, right? Like the theaters in New York that do, I think, are the most successful have community engagement positions and have a sense of what it means to live in that community and the stories that want to be told. And so I, that's, I think all theater works in that way if it's doing its job, if that makes sense. Like I know Broadway is like a commercial model and it's what most people know because they like give themselves awards on TV shows. But like <laughs> theater in its most inherent is community oriented, like regional theaters, right? The Federalist Theater Project in the early that got us out of the depression and made communities again. Like community is the most vital way to build a company, I think. And to your question, sorry, I have like my soapbox moment. I guess. <laughs> oh no, please! Um, casting was weird because I wasn't initially the director. So Melissa was actually going to direct it at one point, and they had gone through the audition process, and then she had um, connected with me um, earlier in this calendar year, um, and so I came in for callbacks, and I'd only had the script for maybe a week before that happened. So Melissa really helped me through that. Um, and so casting for a musical is also very weird because you're sitting there, it's me, Nate and Abby, and we're listening to them sing or we're seeing them dance. We didn't really have a lot of acting in our callbacks because we just didn't have time. And since the dance was so heavy and the music is so heavy in the show, like it's, it's built like an operetta. So there's this music all over the place. So like we really favored that in our callback. And so when we got time to like pick the people it was like sitting there with these pieces of paper, like, I don't know, like the movie Seven, and we're like trying to solve the murder. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> you got like the yarn on the wall. Yeah, it really was. It's like, oh, this person can dance. Oh, this person can sing. Okay, well, this, uh, what's their schedule? Like, oh, no, we have to start over. And so like coming through and then like making offers, like calling people out during my office hours. Uh, <laughs> sorry, TMCC. And, uh, <laughs> and like making those calls and being like, can you do this? And some people were like, no. And so then having to like message people, like, okay, we're going with this other thing, or like we're shifting this person here. Uh, so it was really horrible, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think we came up with the like the perfect monster for how to go about Susical because every person in the cast also brought like themselves to the project, and that's something you have to consider when you're building a show, especially one so big. Is like how does this person who I was only in in contact with for a couple hours that day, how how do I think they would fit in the greater picture and to build our like little ecosystem of a story for X amount of weeks? You know, because we also had a pretty short process for a musical this size. Um, we only really hit it hard for like five, six weeks, maybe. I'm like looking at Nate in the dark and I can't see him, but <laughs> um, but it, like the and only a four four days a week, four hours a night. And like that's short. Hmm. Like when I'm doing a contract for like a, uh, a, I'm doing quote, quote air quotes, but like professional show, right? Like it's like 14 days for like eight nine hours a day, like nine hmm. to five. And then here, like okay, people are getting off work, they're coming in to do this play. How much can we can we how far can we push them before hmm. it's like oh my god? Right. So you have to consider all of those things while being with them for like three hours on a Saturday afternoon while it was like raining really bad. So like it was just an, a, a weird day. And then finally coming to a cast and going, okay, I hope this works. Mm -hmm. If everyone gets along, I hope they're as good as we think they are. I hope they didn't lie on their resume. Like right. all these things, <laughs> you're just like, 
especially because like I'm new to the community. I, I'm pretty sure this was uh, Nate's first show outside of UNR where, where he teaches. It's my first show out of TMCC and I've only been here like 10 months. So like really having to trust Melissa and trust the people I'm around to go, okay, these people are good. These people are cool to work with. And I think it worked. Yeah. You know, it's fantastic. I, we're going to bring Chad up in a little bit. I also want to leave some time for audience Q and I want you to be able to ask questions as well. But first, we'll have another performance from one of our cast members of the show. Hey there, listeners. At this point in the show, we had some live performances from some of the cast of Susicle. Those are not included in this recording. But I'm going to use this moment to encourage you to vote for Renoites for Best Local Podcast in the Reno News and Review. They're doing their Best of Northern Nevada edition right now, and voting is open. You can go to vote.renonr.com and vote for your favorite everything local. Vote for your favorite trivia night, your favorite restaurant, your favorite massage therapist, whatever. Vote for at least 10 different categories to make sure your ballot counts. And be sure to vote for Renoites in the culture section for best local podcast. That will really help me spread the word about the podcast. It'd be great to be featured in the Reno News and Review as the winner of best local podcast. And it just takes a moment. So please visit vote.renonr.com and vote for Renoites as best local podcast. Thank you so much for your support. Our next guest on the podcast today is going to be the technical director and designer of the Susicle performance tonight. He has worked professionally as an actor, director, and designer in Mexico, as well as here for almost a decade now at Reno Little Theater in Reno since, I think, 2010 or so. Please welcome up to the stage the technical director, Chad Sweet. He's got he's got the thing to actually work while he's up here too. Multitasking. Gotta do it all. Gotta do right. it all. <laughs> all right. Excellent. Well, Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so Thanks. much for the work that you do here at Reno Little Theater. Can you start by telling what the technical director does? What is the work that you do here at the theater and uh, on Susicle? Uh, well, a technical director uh, generally uh, just makes sure that everything works and nobody gets hurt. <laughs> That's kind of it. Um, <laughs> uh, more specifically, generally speaking, it has to do with building the set, making sure that um, things don't fall over, actors don't get poked, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. Uh, this, uh, when we talk about um, non-professional, smaller theaters, uh, that role can take on a lot of different things. Um, design can be a big part of it, mm-hmm. uh, as it is with my role here. Um uh, managing workflows, managing volunteers. We have a lot of volunteers that work with us in building all of these things, making mm-hmm. all of these things happen. Um, and uh, we have a, a staff uh, that's fantastic that helps me out. I have an assistant technical director, Oliver. Um, and then much of the rest of the, te- the staff, especially for this show, actually lent uh, their hands as well. They got out of the office mm-hmm. Uh, so that was fun. Right on. Yeah, I know for Susical, it's a obviously a lot of set, a lot of props, a lot of imagination goes into, I think, creating the set that we see here. When you start with a project like this, so you're familiar with Susical already, what are the first things that you do in creating this world on this stage? Well, I actually wasn't familiar with Susical. Mm. I had never heard a song from it mm. uh, until we decided to do it. Uh, so I had never seen any images or anything, but it's such a well-known style, obviously, that, uh, you know, you, you have limitations based on that, but it also allows you 
uh, opportunities too that you don't normally have. You don't have to start from zero. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had some basis, which was great. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, I love about uh, theater is the collaboration. And when we're it, when we were in the early stages, we had a lovely meeting together, Shay and I, uh, at Magpie Coffee, and we just talked and talked and talked. We talked. Um, actually, we just got to know each other mostly. Um, and you know, that sets the groundwork to sort of trust each other and to be able to hear what, uh, hear what we're saying and how we're saying it and how that translates, uh, first to a computer design and then how that translates to paper and then how they try and visualize it in our inadequate, mostly rehearsal hall, which is much smaller than this. Um, and then what that means in that spectacular day when they get to transition from the rehearsal hall to the stage and then see how it actually works and feel how it feel how it actually works. Yeah. What is, what is the collaboration like between you two? So you're directing the show, but you're creating the look of the show. How does that work as far as making decisions along the way and, and, and working together? My way or the highway. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is, it, is the director you know, the boss at the end of the day? <laughs> there are some directors that are like horrible. Uh, like, <laughs> this is what I want, and yeah. they'll like tell actors, "No, you have to say it like this. Like this is exactly what I want." And the, they're not great. But uh, so for Chad and I, it was like, yeah, we got to know each other. We hung out at Magpie, and and then really like just riffing on ideas. I mean, Chad was sitting there like sketching on like napkins and paper of like, "What about this? Or what about this?" Just like give an initial sense of like where we're going with the scale of the show and the ideas of what we're looking at and that's uh, for designers too like they're it's it's such a we can talk about so many things but like they bring like models and sketches and all these different things that give you visually what is going to happen and then you translate that to this so chad Mm -hmm. had drawn this and a like 3d model 3d rendered it Mm -hmm. so i could see what it was nate could see what it was we knew the colors, we knew roughly the sizes, we knew kind of how the space would work, and then we're in rehearsal translating that into a smaller space, so then when we're in here, we move in and we spent, I think, two days of Nate spacing the show out so it actually fit in here, mm. and then when, then when we're all in the same room, it's like last minute changes, coloring things, uh, talking about props, like, so it's really like, and then our stage manager, Audra, who's fantastic, uh, sends these reports every night. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and so the stage manager is really like the unsung hero because they're like these. Like if like they're, if if a play is a wheel, they're the center of it that holds it all together. Mm. Like and communicates to everything. So every night at the end of rehearsal, they send out a report to everyone on the team saying, "Okay, here's notes for props, costumes, questions." And so we communicate that way a lot, um, and then just always, always talking about. Okay, what do you think about that? What about this? Oh, we can't do that. What about this? Oh, okay. Well, what if it was this color? I don't like that. What about this? <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and and you know, creatively, Shay or Nate or whomever, an actor or something like that, would come up with this brilliant, wonderful, fantastic idea, and then uh, um, you know, I have to. I'm the one that has to ask the awful questions of, okay, if that's what you want, how do we clean it up? You know, how do we make it actually function on stage? Who's bringing it on? Who's bringing it off? Uh, do you want the uh, million dollar version or do you want the $10 version that I can give you? Mm. Uh, <laughs> and so, 
you know, a lot of those conversations uh, do happen through reports, through the emails, whatever. But sometimes it, it's so helpful to be in the same room mm -hmm. and to just start talking back and forth. I mean, I can't even count on, on my hands how many conversations we had like that where one of us would walk into the room, the other one would go, oh, what if we do this? And then we go, well, wait a second, what happens if we blow it up like this? You know, mm -hmm. that, that collaboration, that riffing is really, really important. Yeah. yeah. And, and we mentioned a couple of times people that are behind the scenes. So you might not see them on stage, but they're doing a lot. Can you talk a little bit about the other folks who we might not see or think of as part of this process that you're working with throughout the entire? For sure. The whole thing. Yeah, we have uh, an incredible uh, group of stage managers, assistant stage managers. They're on every show and then every maybe two or three shows a season will have to have a deckhand and we've got a great crew of things are they here i see yeah. <laughs> Yay! we made our, our deckhands uh things like from the system they all dyed their hair too which is like a fun oh, no. yeah. surprise they gave us What's crazy about it too is is um, so the stage manager and the assistant stage manager they're with the show through the whole rehearsal process, um, and then when we transfer over to the space here, we generally get about two weeks to go from what happens over there to what you see tonight. Like they don't know light cues, they don't really know sound cues, they don't really know how the stage is going to move until they start moving it, and so they get about. I mean, sometimes far less than two weeks. We lighting was uh, gigantic for this one, and so I think Audra, would you get one rehearsal before we had an audience in here? One rehearsal of pressing that button, hopefully getting it right. Uh, and she did an amazing job. She always has. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so it's the same with the deckhands too. The things you know, they were working with this stuff you know, for for seven or eight days before we had an audience in here. And yeah. this is, it, it looks innocuous. It looks like a plaything, but it's, this is dangerous. Like if somebody steps off that one right there and falls to the ground, they're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, no one died tonight. That's no good one. news. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I asked Shay about the experience of translating kind of a cartoon to reality. And, the staging is a huge, huge part of that. So can you talk a little bit about that process of turning things that are, you know, flat on a page into real props that we have here yeah. in, the, in the space? I can't tell you what an incredible person Hana Toyota is. Hana, Hana was our scenic artist. Is Hana here? Oh, my God. <laughs> You're right there, Hana. I love you so much. <laughs> you saved my life on the show. Um, you know, I, of course, we know what the Seussian world looks like, um, but it takes time, time and talent that this person has in spades. Um, and so, you know, this stage is big. We use all of it just about, and all of it's got to have color to it, and all of it's got to have these beautiful inkwork lines that make us feel like we're in that book that we all know, you know, all of us that we can't get away with budging it on something like this. And, um, you know, Shay held my feet to the fire about the little tiny uh, trees up at the top there because uh, yes. we had a barren, a nude hill. Yeah. yeah, A nude hairy hill. You can't be a plant daddy without plants. You know? <laughs> 
Uh-huh. And I and and like the the communication of like how the set moves, right? Because we have moving pieces mm-hmm. on the stage, um, and like from the beginning, like uh, Nate Hodges, the choreographer, created this physical language that I just kind of tried to thread throughout the scenes, like. The, the who walk that the Whoville characters have, like, <laughs> like that people try to do, and, like, my niece is visiting, and she's trying to figure out how to do it, and it's just so funny, but, like, that was really important to me to how we did that, and then you have to translate that to a moving set, and, like, you know, we have, like, laughing pop-up things in the set, mm-hmm. like, it's just, it was really cool, like, and to have that overlap and that collaboration on, like, okay, if they're doing that, how does that work on the set? Like, where does that need, where does that happen? And, like, going back and forth on, like, we, and as you can see, like, that we paint all the way to the edges because we use every inch of the stage and behind the audience, like we use everything. And so like working with uh, Chad to be like, can we get a light in the audience? Like, you, you know, like all these things that are like probably super annoying. And, <laughs> and but also to not feel like you have to justify that. Like we, like Chad said, we built that trust. So when I'm asking for something that might sound kind of innocuous, but like having Jojo go where they go in the room in the in the play like that's important that was important to me as a storyteller of like how do we connect these two worlds and Chad just being like okay (laughs) (laughs) well I mean I think that that we have always tried here at Reno Little Theater the staff all the volunteers everybody uh, we live from a a place of yes yes we want to do this yes we want to figure this out no idea is too crazy you came close a few times. No idea is too crazy, outlandish, whatever. You know, we certainly we have our boundaries that we need to work within. But if we can figure out how to do it or how to make something that's awful close, we're going to try real hard. Excellent. The other thing that I think is a big part of the show is the costumes. Obviously, it's like it's animal characters. It's a wide variety of characters with different costumes. Can you talk a little bit about the process of creating the costumes for all of the cast? Yeah, like if you if you look in the program, like there's I don't even know how many people are listed. It's a and, lot. Yeah, like there was so many people that came together to help bring this piece together. We have 17 actors, and I think only like three of them don't change, mm. and then the rest of the you know 40 of them like <laughs> play. <laughs> Uh, so many characters like there were times in rehearsal where it's like wait who do you play again (laughs) because like it is just so crazy and so having that conversation of you know my my college we brought in like almost 20 boxes of costumes that they could just tear apart and use i know we had moira our costume the rlt costume person like whipped out some amazing pieces uh so many volunteer stitchers and, and pulling things and creating this cohesive Susian thing, you know, and then again, like we're doing all that within a week or so because we're seeing individual pieces. You know, I'm coming in with Chad and seeing individual panels and seeing Hana paint and right, but then you have like two weeks, less than two weeks to put to figure out okay, what do we need to now change to make it a cohesive play? Because there were a couple days where it's like, oh, this color doesn't really work on this. Can you repaint this? Can we can we swap out this top? Can we? Is there time to build a new? skirt or a blouse or or do we have can we pull things you know we're trying to do makeup on them and hair and the, then the light hits them and it changes everything and so you have to go back to that conversation it really feels like uh those those last two weeks before a show feel like um those reality make it programs on television where everyone's under pressure all the time and it changes on the drop of a hat uh that's how it is and you know if you're 
real lucky, then you get a group of people that can pivot like that and just go with the flow and, and you're dropping things and you're putting new things in. And Yeah. Sorry, we forgot to mention, we did have a costume designer, Julie Robertson. Yes. Uh, and she's the one who originally helped design all this stuff. Yeah. Hey there, listeners. I'm interrupting just one more time in this episode to ask you for your support financially for the show as well. As I've mentioned on this episode and many others, this is a community-oriented, listener-funded project. I don't really want annoying ads and sponsors. I'd rather prove that listeners are willing to throw a couple bucks to local creators for the work that they're doing, especially in local media. We'll see if it is sustainable. We'll see if it will work, but my hope is that it will. And I have a lot of folks who are supporting on Patreon already. I am so grateful for your support. If you'd like to join their ranks and help support the show financially to make it more sustainable, you can do that at patreon.com slash renoites. I have several different levels that you can support the show at, from as little as a few bucks a month, think of that like throwing a couple dollars in the tip jar, up to $20 a month. For people who have the resources and really want to invest in local media, it makes a huge difference. You can learn more at patreon.com slash renoites, or if you just want to make a one-time donation, you can also do that via Venmo at renoites, or come visit me at the Riverside Farmer's Market on Sunday. You can purchase stickers, t-shirts, all of that also helps support the show financially. And now back to the episode. Well, part of the fun of having a live audience is getting to do a little bit of Q&A. So if there's folks in our audience who have questions for Shay or Chad, come on down near the front. I'll bring this microphone up near the front and someone can uh, come on down and ask a question. Who's got questions for us? I'm not a total Dr. Seuss expert, but there was a lot of different stories that I saw crossing over. Do you know how many different works of Dr. Seuss appear in some way, shape, or form in Seussical? Roughly, so the the three major stories they follow are Horton Here's a Who, Horton Hatches an Egg, and uh, there's a book called Yurtle the Turtle and Other Stories. And so there's a story in that um, collection about Gertrude McFuzz specifically. And so those are the three main stories. Um, but then Flaherty and Aarons, the composers, uh, use those as the base and then used like so many other things in his canon to weave more things into it. But I think those were the three primary stories. Thank you. Tentatively. What are the audience questions? Oh, here we go. Um, I love that he talked about finding layers in the characters and the story. What character surprised you the most? Surprised me the most? Uh, I think so on the page, I was really nervous about uh, Gertrude and Maisie specifically, um, just because in in terms of how they're written, they're not given a lot of time to develop. Um, but then we had these two amazing actors, Marissa and Maddie, who played them respectively. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so uh, particularly like Marissa with Maisie, like letting their personality like make Maisie like funny and quirky and these like like my favorite thing she does on stage is when she goes yeah i'm gonna cry and she like does this thing right and that's like marissa's like it, it, uh, interpretation of that character and then maddie with gertrude like that character can so easily just be there to um you know chase the guy um and I think when Maddie coming in and having a, kind of a really clear point of view that Gertrude 
was very three-dimensional and so and bringing those stories off stage to the scene so we can see her arc um was really them and that was so exciting because it, it didn't feel like pulling things from them it felt like editing with them of like okay how can we distill that into these moments and so having two really talented actors craft characters we've only seen Maisie three times you know but she has such a presence in the play and so I fear for characters like that when they're not given the time I think they need. But then when you have actors that just nail it and understand that they're people and give them that kind of heart is super exciting. So that was probably the biggest surprise and, and my biggest like joy. So by the end, like they were like for sure like my favorite characters, right? It's like they're little things that I wouldn't I don't know that another Gertrude or Maisie would make those choices, which is also a cool thing about theater, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other questions from our audience? Eric. I, I will ask a question that I know that some of the cast is wondering as well, and this one's for Chad. Is there any element of Mario Brothers that went into your design process? <laughs> there, there, there may be some unintended influence from the recent movie. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't conscious. No, it wasn't conscious. There's it. Yeah, yeah. No, we we can turn this right over into a Mario musical, can we? Yeah. All right. Other questions from our audience? Are you waving? You have a question? As someone who's pretty new here to Arena Little Theater, what can you tell me as an audience member for how I can get involved? What can I expect? Like seasonally, can I prepay for like a season of tickets? Can, what sponsorship opportunities? How can I be a part of things? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you happen to be sitting right across the aisle from our executive director. <laughs> oh, all of our staff just about is right there. Yeah, that's all of our staff. Uh, they'll answer all your questions. You can get involved in all of those ways. Um, we uh, pride ourselves on being very open, very welcoming. We love having new people here. We love our veterans as well, but uh, we love everybody. So yeah, come join us, play with us. Excellent. All right, well, we are gonna close out the show with a couple more performances from folks from the cast. Thank you all so much for being here tonight, both for Susicle and for staying for the podcast taping. Thank you so much to our guests for coming up to talk to you, Shay, Chad, all of the performers for the additional songs. And thank you so much to Rena Little Theater for giving us the space to do this show, for giving us the opportunity to provide some more background about what you're doing here. And I'm so grateful to be a part of sharing what we are doing in the local theater community here. So thank you for the opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. Follow uh, Rena Whites wherever you get podcasts. And please find out more about Rena Little Theater. It's renalittletheater.org. Renalittletheater.org. So upcoming shows, tickets, all of the things you need to know there. Thank you all so much again for being here. I really appreciate it. Listeners, thanks again for tuning in to this week's episode of Renoites. And keep an eye on the podcast feed for my upcoming mini episodes, Renoites shorts episodes with the vendors of the Riverside Farmers Market, with local small businesses. I'm also on the lookout for new guests. So if you have ideas for guests or topics for the show, please let me know. Send me an email. Connor, C-O-N-O-R at renoites.com. Thank you again for listening. Have a great day.